everybody. Welcome to the NATO Sessions. I'm NATO Green. The NATO Sessions is a production of 3200 Stories, the digital venue of the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. Uh, this is my podcast. My guest today is Aaron Davidman. He uh, is a playwright and uh, an actor and director. His new play, Wrestling Jerusalem, is currently uh, uh, wrapping up a run at Intersection for the Arts in San Francisco, but is about to launch a uh, national tour of some sort. So uh, the play Wrestling Jerusalem is uh, an investigation into the difficult and conflicted and fraught uh, feelings of people have about Israel and Palestine. Apparently people have strong feelings about it. Apparently it's a controversial issue, uh, not a lot of clarity in the public conversation. So he uh, does a, a nice bit of theater to try to flush those issues out. So, uh, and in the course of the conversation, I mentioned some comedy that I worked on uh, in late 2008. That uh, was my attempt at doing some, some incorporating Israel and Palestine into my stand-up. And I dug into the vaults and found some uh, audio clips of that that I'll intersperse throughout the conversation. So uh, you can go see Aaron's play, and then you can listen to my stand-up and decide if uh, anybody is going to do an adequate job of bridging the gap culturally and artistically on this, what do you call it? Sticky wicket. Okay. Let's, let's uh, get into it with Aaron Davidman. Here we go. I don't know another way to ask this question except the way that sits in my mind, which is what, what kind of Jew are you? <laughs> like there, there are the, of the typologies of the, of Jews. Yeah. I mean, I'm the secular progressive West coast you know, spiritually inclined, but not necessarily religious uh-huh. Jew. Got it. So you have like peace and how's justice satyrs. You, you do that? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. We had a group. My one of my favorite satyrs we had was actually done largely with puppets. Uh huh. And did you? Where did you grow up? My, Berkeley. Okay. So like that's like deep yeah. cuts of West Coast spiritual progressive. Jews. Yeah, I mean, you know, my folks were lefty secularists. You know, my dad was labor. Um, uh, his dad, you know, his dad was a union organizer. Talk about your union affiliation. And, um, you know, they were Yiddish, you know, Yiddish, Yiddish speaking, um, you know, lefties. And they weren't into, into religion. His, his father, my grandfather, left the religious world in the old country to go with the Bolshe- with the Bolsheviks, you know, so. So, and so you've got like uh So I came back, I found spiritual. U.S. out of El Salvador on your talus or something? <laughs> <laughs> something like that, yeah. yeah. No, no, they, they, they never belonged to a synagogue. My folks didn't. I wanted to get bar mitzvah on my own, and we had a kind of a hippie Berkeley rabbi do it, do an a la carte um bar mitzvah in, in my backyard it was it was beautiful i had one of those you had one of those yeah uh you had a hippie a la carte well, bar mitzvah david cooper oh yeah uh sure i uh did my it was it great was, so i had a i had a different version of david cooper yeah. yeah so and he also officiated my wedding um in a hippie a la carte uh you had wedding. a hippie a la carte wedding too yeah a whole, Wonderful. A whole bit um <laughs> <laughs> so you know i when i my wife my wife's father's Jewish and died when she was a kid. So she's sort of, my wife, I would describe as like, but prior to our relationship, to me, kaiki, but not Jewish, if you know what I mean? Like, that she manifested Jewishness without awareness, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? Um, 
But uh, uh, so uh, we were talking about getting married and we were going to meet somebody. And, uh, you know, and so she was raised by her Gentile mom mostly. And even in New Mexico, she's from New Mexico. Jews in New Mexico are pretty assimilated in general. So her father... Well, then there's all those crypto Jews in New Mexico too, which is fascinating. Right. But yeah, that's a whole but other she, story. But she never didn't even know about that until she moved to the Bay. Yeah. So, so we're going to get married and we're meeting with this. We're looking for an officiant. And I said, well, let's meet with David. So we go to meet with David, but we met him at like a social function, coincidentally, right before that. And she was like, I don't know about this little guy with the ponytail and the, and the, and the beret and the fanny pack. This is too weird for me. It's not my <laughs> cup of tea. And to my shock, within 10 minutes of meeting him, she's like, so I'm thinking about converting. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you did, dude. Um, That's great. So, uh, and so then what was, you, what, what do you, what was compelling to you to like go figure out your own relationship with Judaism out from the, under the, the red tent? Well, it was sort of funny because I, I was intrigued, maybe because all my friends had bar mitzvahs, or a bunch of them, when I was 13 and, you know, 12 and 13. And so I wanted one, and so then we, I did my own thing. And my parents were like, okay, we'll support you to do it. And then, you know, it was 10 years later that I, um, a friend came back from Israel, had some really beautiful, kind of powerful experience. He's like, hey, man, you know, there's this, you know, Shabbat. It's like, it's really, it's cool, like, Say blessings and then eat beautiful food and then you have this whole day of contemplation and kind of talk about cool stuff and think about interesting things and uh, so we started sort of checking out Shabbat and then I went back to Israel and was like with the interest of okay so I went to college I studied Buddhism I was really kind of turned on to you know Buddhism Taoism sort of the concept of of enlightenment and spiritual pursuit without having really checked in my own, you know, treasure chest. So then I so then I thought, okay, maybe we should maybe we should see what else is going on from the you know, from the lineage. What's in the vault? Yeah, what's in the vault. And and what's the and then did So that's in the play. I mean, that trip, that 1992 trip, the first trip to Israel is a whole section in the play that's about the kind of the beginnings of relationship with Israel and Jewish, ident- Jewish identity in a much deeper, you know, prof- more profound way. Uh, what did your parents do for a living? My dad was a uh, commercial artist. Cause, yeah. So I grew up in San Francisco, and it's in 92, Israel trip after college, you're probably a couple years older than me. Uh, and After college, yeah. Uh, and so I, I feel like my Jewish identity was tied up with like Yiddish and the Lower East Side and the like immigrant experience. And my, my sense growing up in San Francisco was that like the Jews that I knew growing up whose identity was tied up, was, had a connection to Israel, there was a class distinction. Um, hmm. That like, my, I have a younger brother. Like if you could afford to go to Israel, that it would... Just, yeah, it would, like I worked in the summer. It never occurred to me that Israel was out of the question just because it... Hmm. Hmm. There was no way I was going to get there. And then I, my brother figured out eventually that people would pay for that shit. Uh, they would. Uh-huh. And you could go and... I mean, it's interesting that, that you saw it that way because a lot of people went to go work and live on a kibbutz and actually, you know, get into the whole labor Zionist thing, which was theoretically class-less. Yeah, right. So I have a, I have a, a friend, a comedian, uh, Emily Heller, who has my one of my favorite... There's not many, but one of my favorite jokes about Israel, about going on the birthright trip, and, so, and she says, 
And it turns out you don't even have to be that Jewish to go on the trip to Israel. You just have to be Jewish enough to accept a free trip to a war zone. (laughs) 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 Um, So, uh, Emily Heller, ladies and gentlemen. Um, So, good. So you're like how your your experience of yourself as, as developing a Jewish identity had some connection to Israel from the outset. At that, at that point, yeah, in my twenty-five-year-old self, yeah. And then, and what was going on in Israel at that at, at that point? Well, what was going on for me was study and sort of mind-blowing, you know, ideas and sense of community and. Um, you know, and lineage and all that. Um, and what was going on in Israel outside of that was the was the, the the Oslo process. So there was a, you know, it was a hopeful, fairly peaceful time. I took a bus, you know, you could take a bus from Jerusalem through Jericho up the Jordan Valley all the way up to the north. I mean, I did, I did that all the time. And it was, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty mellow considering. I mean, I wasn't at that time, you know, interviewing people in Gaza and the West Bank, but, um, but the, there was a, there was, it was a period of relative calm and hopefulness. Right. And then, and then, and then, uh, how did you get from there to traveling Jewish theater? Well, you know, I was a theater person my whole life and, um, and then went on this sort of not enough Jews in show business, obviously not enough. And there were so then I went to Israel for this little kind of spiritual, you know, pursuit. And um, and it was funny because you know my life, my whatever calling as an artist, as a theater artist, is just part of what's just kind of part of the deal. And I was starting to think, oh, how am I gonna? You know, and I was praying three times a day and keeping kosher, and like I was trying on the whole. Megillah, so to speak, yeah. and um, and so I went, bang a bang. So I went to so I went to this rabbi, and I was like, you know, I got, I'm going to go back to the states, and you know, what am I going to do about you know Shabbat? Because I'm you know I'm a theater artist, and you know, we obviously we work on nights and Friday nights and stuff like that, and Saturdays, and and he just he looked at me and he said, well, can't you do something else? <laughs> <laughs> and that you know that that was like a a that was that was where this whole question of like, okay, well, theater and Jewish or, or you know, and, and the artist in me and the, and the Jew in me, how are these things going to work together? Are they going to be at odds? So when I came back, it was a couple of years later that, that, that I, you know, traveling Jewish theater and I found each other. And that's where I began to see that my temple really is, you know, is the temple of the theater and the narrative that I'm interested in exploring um, is a roots-based narrative and it goes way back to that great story of Moses. And so then it became a question of, you know, marrying these two kind of passions and, and purposes to engage with that narrative and to funnel it into this particular art form. And so um, it felt like, you know, it felt like it was, it was, the, right, it was the right moment to, um, to kind of claim that, claim those two identities and put them together. So uh, let me ask you the question that uh, was discussed in great length on the on the episode of the podcast about the Torah and, and the unscrolled book, which is uh, what is 
why are these stories still so compelling? Um, I mean, I think they're compelling because they're multi-layered, you know? Uh, they're mystical, you know? They're um, dramatic. Uh, they're epic. You know, it's a, it's, a ex, it's a story of exodus, you know? And, um, and I think... I've heard movement of Ja people. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh-huh. And they're... And they're... Um, and I think they do offer kind of, you know, they do offer reflections on our... On, you know, they're, they're, they're full of wisdom that offer reflections on our current, on our current life and our current living. And so... And the fact that, I think one of the other factors is, I mean, because there, there are a lot of great stories in the world, one of the other great factors is that a group of people unroll that thing every week and have for, you know, 2,000 years. So that in and of, it's like the investment in it is maybe even as compelling as what it is itself. Mm-hmm. You know, because it... it, it um, it's got, you know, it's got, it's got potency. It's like, it's a, it's a very, very, that tea bag has been steeped. Do you know what I'm saying? That's right. It's a strong cup, strong cup of Torah. Uh, full bodied. Um, I, yeah, my, uh, one of the other conversations we had that went on the way to deciding to get married is my wife and I just agreed that, uh, we don't believe in God, but we believe in Durkheim, uh, which, this, like Durkheim had this whole anthropology about religion that communities are defined by by ritual and punishment uh, essentially, see. and and that you you can define a community with the rituals that you have and then you know and the values that you express through those rituals. Well, and I guess I would go the step further to talk about the story that the rituals are are the activate are this kind of activating events, but the story is how we identify ourselves and measure ourselves. I mean, storytelling, period, you know? Um, you come home from a, your long day, and, and if you're blessed enough to have a good partner or someone at home, what, what do you do? You tell them about your day. You know, why? Because you need the affirmation, you know, that we exist, mm-hmm. right? And so, story, t- you know, and, and when we sit around, we get together dinner, you sit around a bar with friends, what do you do? You tell us, you tell stories about this or that, you know? And so I feel like, you know, and I, and I, so I feel like storytelling creates identity and, and, you know, and storytelling is how we kind of reflect who we are in the world, how we give ourselves meaning in the world. And, um, and so, and that's, you know, so the Torah does that, you know, sort of in spades in all kinds of different ways. And the way that Jews historically have grappled with that text, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe the story really happened or not. I mean, I have a, that one, you know, one line in the play where the, where the character says, you know, he thinks it's crazy. The story, you know, the Torah is crazy. All the people are so angry. It really happened. It did not. You know, who cares? Right. right? It's a story. And um, that's the stoner, right? That's the stoner. Yeah. <laughs> Amir is his, is his name, yeah, I, yeah, and I and, connected with that character. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, and and so the point, my my point is just that um, to me, st- you know, storytelling is is the is the is the, is the is the essential Jewish identifying act, and it's our relationship to that particular story that defines who we are as Jews. 
and and so the current the current play uh, wrestling Jerusalem uh, running now at intersection with the arts San Francisco. Uh, do you do do you feel that like is that a is that an extension of what you were doing with traveling Jewish theater or is there is there a break? What's the well, evolution? Absolutely, an extension of the work that we did at TJT and an extension of. You know, my own work um, in relationship to telling the Israeli-Palestinian story. It's, you know, one of three plays that I've written about the conflict. And it's also just an, ex- you know, an extension, an exercise of my own um, work as a, as a playwright. So, okay, I have a, here's my, here's my question. Uh, do we as Jews... But here's my line on the whole thing is I try to keep it clean, which is I love all the people and I hate all the governments. I feel like that's a consistent position. Love like, all the people and hate all the governments. Oh, I hate all the governments. Right. I hate my own government. I hate the Israeli government. I hate the Palestinian government. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great uh, stand to have. Uh, C- congratulations. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's brilliant. So, you know, I, uh, uh, so, so part of my question for you is, uh, uh, the, do you feel like Jews have a unique or additional or special responsibility as American Jews particularly to care about or be connected to or think about Israel more so than any other country in the world? You know, I'm, I'm concerned about what's happening in Israel, but I'm also concerned about what's happening in Guatemala. Right. Uh, how, do right. You, how do you think about that? I think it's personal. I think I, who am I to say what all American Jews should or shouldn't, you know, I'm giving you permission right now. Well, I, I do. I think it's personal. I do. I, I, I'm, I'm connected to it. I, I don't, I don't, I, I guess a little part of me doesn't really understand how one could not be, but that's only because of the experiences that I have had. Um, and it's such a rich, um, I guess, I guess here's, here's the thing. If you're a Jew who is going to have a connection to Jewish history, and to the future of the Jewish people, then you have to have a stake in the the narrative and the and the outcome of what hap- what's happening in Israel because it's it's an essential part of the Jewish story as it's unfolding. Um, Does is, that answer your question? Yes, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's you know it's like I it, I didn't like I said I didn't grow up thinking about Israel a whole lot. It was just it was another country. And it was interesting. And it was one of those things where, like, Gentiles would ask me about it. People would say shit to me, and then I would then I then because of having to respond, I was like, I better know what this is all about. <laughs> right. Having to formulate an opinion, <laughs> right? Um, but it's not. I didn't. I didn't. I don't spontaneously feel a connection to any particular government. Well, look, we're pri- we're privileged because of that. Yeah. I mean, we're privileged to, to be here and to be able to say, well, maybe I'm interested, maybe I'm not interested. You know, if your family. Um, came from any of the Arab, if your Jewish family came from any of the Arab countries and you migrated to Israel, if you were a Jew who came from Russia, migrated to Israel, if you were from Eastern Europe, if you're, you know, if you were basically populate, you know, a, a, a migratory, um, part of a migratory community that basically had to set up shop in Israel, it's a different story. I'm going to speak on behalf of all Jews, just me really, but I have the microphone and those are the rules. So... We, as the Jewish people, are consumed with self-loathing. Like, my worst nightmare is to be in a country filled with Jews. Like, what, fucking Jews and Jews and Jews? As far as I can see, that sounds horrible. 
<laughs> That's why I don't go to family reunions. Fuck that. And I don't, for me as a Jew, I don't deserve a Jewish state because I'm a horrible person. Like, when some other Jew that I don't know that has nothing to do with me does a bad thing, like Bernie Madoff defraud millions of people with billions of dollars, or when Israel bombs some, some village somewhere, or when Joe Lieberman palpates John McCain's prostate for six months on television. I don't, my first thought isn't that guy's a dick, or no one should do that, or what a horrible way to act. My first thought is, that motherfucker makes me look bad. Uh, what do you feel like is, so, is special and powerful about engaging the debate about Israel and Palestine in the context of art? Like, what do you feel like you can do as an artist and a theatrical performer that you couldn't do in a documentary or an essay, for example? It's a great question. That's a really good question. And, and here's, here's, what's, you know, here's what, I, what I'm after in the play, of course, is creating a, a lived, alive experience. I mean, that's what theater does best. You know, it creates an in-the-moment reckoning for everybody in the room, and right? Can, can you hear the buttholes clenching from uh, the stage? I, I can hear the buttholes clenching. I can hear the, you know, shuffling of feet, and I can hear the water, you know, cup that tips over to. I can hear everything and see everything, believe me. It's a, it's a as from a performative point of view, it's the most demanding con it's the most demanding performance I've ever had to take on in my entire life, as it, just from a point of view of focus and concentration. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a tight, it's a tight rope walk every night, there's no question. But the goal was, is to um, create an experience in the room where everyone, ha everyone in the room with me has to, has to kind of reckon with their own um, stand or their own take. And I'm inviting everyone to join me in some deep listening to the other, to those that we don't necessarily know or aren't familiar or that we might disagree with. And in doing that, I'm trying to create a opportunity for, you know, to, to unstick the, stuck, the stuckness, right? Where it's, it's, it's a quagmire and our own thinking is stuck and it takes, I think, it, the, the way that art and politics, the way that art, art can serve politics is it can, you know, imagine. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, too often um, politicians are stuck, you know, and not just politicians, but all, their, all of their subjects, you know, all of their citizens are stuck because they can't, see down a road of uncertainty or uh, even a road of, um, you know, possible inventiveness. How, 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 do you, how do you get to that if you're just staring at a wall? And, and how, what, what was the process like of, of bringing that? My impression is that you, you, you commenced the project with that goal in mind of of getting people to hear other points of view and getting people unstuck. Well, I commenced the project just with myself trying to hear other people actually. I didn't really know where it was going to go. My my goal was to meet people, listen to people and see what stories emerge and see where it was going to go. And I didn't set out to write a play about me investigating this. That's sort of where it went. And so, you know, I found it very powerful my experience of being with being curious with 
people that are unlike me and learning about them was just, and in that way, very much a documentarian. I just found it very meaningful, very engaging and very human. And I think, you know, if as progressive American Jews, our main relationship to conflict, the conflict in the Middle East and all around the world is the headlines in the news, then guess what? We're not really getting the story, you know? And um, if our, you know, if our humanity is, um, you know, if our humanity is, is anything, it allows us to see deeper and, and into a more, you know, into the complexity. It allows us to breathe into the complexity and into the multiplicity of, of a conflict like this. And, and I guess, and I think in that regard, it's very Jewish. It's not black and white. It's nuanced, you know, and, and, it's, and it's complex. And so what emerged as I was working on the piece was a tapestry of voices that are all human that I sort of, you know, weave, weave together with, you know, with my own kind of curious narrative, my own journey. And what, what, how, did you, how did you think about structure? You know, structure, I, I wasn't, I didn't, the structure came through just tireless rewrites and re-experimenting and trying of different things. It, it was just, it was a very long, long process. I did not, the structure, the structure taught me what it needed to be based on the material. Um, it, it, the piece reminded me of, I mean, it felt like there's there is a tradition of I mean, what occasionally has been described as this idea of like theatrical journalism, yeah. you know, like like Anna Devere Smith and Dan Hoyle and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, do you, I mean, first of all, I guess do you want do you do you relate to that that I, rubric? I uh, do partly. I think I think I took a bit of a left turn. I, I see this kind of as a marriage between the memoir work of. Say Spalding Gray and the more, and the more transformational may he rest in peace. work. May he rest in peace. And the more uh, transformational work of of Anna Devere Smith. So the, so I sort of see, you know, because that's kind of what's happening. I'm telling a story. I'm on a journey, but then I pop into these other characters, and mm-hmm. and then I'm there conversing with me. So I formally it feels like it's a hybrid of of forms. And. Uh, how's it going? Like, do you feel like the experiment is working? What what is the, what is the, what is the what does the data say? I mean, NATO. The data says to me that I've never experienced a kind of response to a play I've ever worked on in my entire career ever. And by response, what I mean is a kind of readiness to engage with the material. Mm. A, a a there's there's no gap between the story on stage and, and, and my audience. It seems like, you know, for, forever I've wanted, to, forever, for my whole career, I've wanted to kind of, I, say, I call it kind of reduce the gap at the footlights where, you know, what the audience is sitting back and watching and what's happening on stage is really becomes a community experience where everyone's really in it together. And I, and I, and I feel here, um, you know, every night in the show, there's a kind of, immediacy that the story is is um, sparking in, in everyone and I hear people tell me look you know you're you, they, they tell me that I'm I'm um, voicing their struggles their wrestling that they're holding inside them and so the piece is somehow speaking to people who are 
grappling with all this stuff and who are themselves feel conflicted and, you know, and, and so, you know, it feels like what the piece does is it allows, it models the ability to hold all of this, you know, right, in, right. without having to, without having to make a decision or, or pick a side to just hold it all. You know, can we be big enough human beings to hold, to hold all of that, you know, and you know, in ourselves. And I, I, on, was it on Thursdays after the show, you're doing these dialogues? Yeah. How, well, we're doing conversations on Thursdays and then we're doing a whole peace cafe facilitated program sponsored by the wonderful new Israel fund on Sundays after the matinees. And yeah. what's happening with all those? What, what you know, kind of stuff is coming out? People are digging in. I mean, a great, a great, you know, experience last Sunday, you know, a rabbi, you know, the, there's food afterwards, rabbi blessed, you know, gave a blessing for the food. And then a Catholic deacon gave a blessing over the food. And we had this incredible conversation, people, sh you know, just sharing very deeply what's going on for them. And, um, and then, you know, the deacon comes up to me afterwards and he's got Ari Shavit's book, um, My Promised Land, under his arm with my program stuffed into it. And, you know, he says, we, we would really love to bring you to the church. Cool. So, you know, and, you know, there's a, there, there, are, there have not been a, an enormous amount of Palestinians coming to the show, but there have been some and their response has been very uh, appreciative and, and engaged. Um, and um, it's you know it's been a predominantly Jewish audience, and um, and also and also plenty of of people who aren't Jews who seem to be gaining insights into the conflict, seeing a uh, and, and kind of reflecting their own you know their own complexities. And a a, um, a friend who's uh, who grew up Catholic uh, came up to me after the show and said, "Oh God, you know." I just so made it so made me think about my own Catholic upbringing and all these conflicted emotions I have about it, you know. So the piece, although it's very specific, it has it's seeming to have a kind of universal resonance for people that they can that they can latch latch onto kind of across the spectrum. And how do you deal with the whole thing? Like as uh, for me in stand up, um, you know, my By the way, I stand up too for most of the show. Do you stand up too? Uh, but there's no two drink minimum. Uh, no, and I, and I do sit down once. So you I, sit, you lie yeah. down actually. I lie down once and I sit down once. So, so I, okay, it doesn't count. It's, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a we we have union rules that there's a line. I understand. Uh, so uh, but so as a stand up, there's a uh, I could talk, I talk about Israel occasionally in my act. Basically, I, I can get away with it when there's some huge thing in the news cycle. Like, you know, Israel does something horrible and blows up a bunch of people and it's all over the news. I have like a two-week window um, when the audience... Like, I can talk about gay marriage whenever I want or in gun control and immigration. But Israel, like people's attention... But then, you know, and then if it gets outside of that, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, right. why are you upset about this? Uh -huh. uh, or why are you bumming us out with this sad story? Right. We're here to laugh. Right. And, <laughs> and like, I've, you know, the first time I did it was on stage was in... 2008. Uh, it was in December 2008 when Israel was bombing Lebanon. And, and I had some ideas. I took it on stage and started sort of riffing it out, which is how I write. Uh, and by, by the way, Lebanon was, was bombing Israel too. Uh, the body count, <laughs> as I, my understanding was, the bombs at least were bigger, was my impression. And the body count was higher. So, yeah. but 
Uh, and so I had some jokes, and I just felt I felt I felt I felt I heard the buttholes clenching. I could feel people in the room, like being about to walk out. Uh, uh, I heard afterwards that that people were like, you know, there was a certain amount of like, what is this motherfucker about to say? Just mentioning it, and then and so you know, and I try to be sort of careful to be like, uh, I try to attack the stupid arguments that people make, uh, and so sort of as a again as a stand up. My scope is, or the, because the mode is particular to that uh, medium, you know, it's sort of like, well, whatever you think about the issue, come on, this is a stupid argument. Uh, and, and so the, but one of the things you always have to deal with, which I'm curious about how you have handled, is like, is just how you construct a piece knowing that the, that people in the audience bring very different things to the, table in terms of their level of knowledge and their frame of reference and how much they thought about it and how to like sort of calibrate totally. it. That's a, that's a great question. Go. First, I have to say though that I'm all for satire. I just, on the record, I think it's got, you know, if it's the more searing, the better. Cosine, baby. Um, you know, you, the, the question of what, where is, where, where, at what level, what knowledge base is my audience? It's a really interesting one. It's one I grappled with throughout the play because there's all kinds of little historical tidbits in the in the piece. I reference a lot of different dates. I try to, you know, I try to sort of, there, there's a minimum level of, of awareness that I'm assuming some you know, people are going to have. And if they don't, well, they're, they're learning. Um, but uh, in terms of the sort of what's in the news daily or where people are at or what's, you know, where, 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 what, what their consciousness is going to be around it, um, I couldn't have, you know, we couldn't have timed this, you know, the opening of this play any better if we had tried because of Ari Shavit's book that just came out that just people are talking about an enormous amount. I can't tell you how many people have said, have you read Ari Shavit's book? And it seems like it's like almost an embodiment of, you know, it's like a theatricalization, almost a parallel journey, blah, 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 you know, from an American point of view. And... Um, you know, Peter, all Peter Beinhardt's writings, which is, which is, I think, really stirring, you know, searing critique and stirring in really intelligent ways, a uh, more actually, progressive... I wanted to ask you about Peter Beinhardt's writing. Yeah, more progressive, uh, I'm a fan, a more, more progressive, you know, approach. Um, the, you know, Carrie's trying to get these peace talks re, 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 you know, restarted. And there seems, you know, the, all the work that J Street has been doing the past few years, the work that New Israel Fund is doing. So that I feel like... I feel like there's a new atmosphere of Jewish voice for peace. I get, I get in trouble with my friends if I didn't mention them too. Well mentioned, JVP, and and there's a there's a there's a there's a there seems like there's a a new uh, an, a, an opening that's happening for the first time. There's less fear about um, talking about some of these things in public. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we wanted to really really engage uh, our community with these peace cafe events and these conversations because people really do want to talk about it and. For too long, the right has sort of taken control of the microphone and has really dominated the conversation. And finally, we're, we're, we're allowing for more you know, nuance and complexity around um, what does it mean to have you know, democracy and social justice in Israel. And I think, and I think we're, you know, we're starting to get more, more traction in the, in the conversation. You know, how that's going to manifest actually in policy we're, we'll see. But also, to some extent, as artists, that's not our problem. 
you know, like <laughs> sort of. <laughs> As citizens, it's our problem. Right. As artists, it's you're right. I mean, that's not my job, but it is my, you know, it is my interest. Right. So, yeah. so, uh, as someone who, like, well, let me let me say what I was going to say about Peter Beinart. So I, uh, I heard this interview with him when when his book about the Israel lobby came out, and I'm gonna he might be appalled by how I describe his analysis, but basically the way that I heard him analyzing the like the operations of APEC were an argument that uh, that that the Israel lobby has. Uh, tactically exploited anti-Semitic stereotypes in order to achieve political objectives. So, like, for example, you know, what he described about how the Israel lobby actually works is that they don't actually have as much money to move around to win and lose political campaigns as people think they do, but people just assume because they show up and they're Jews. They're like, oh, these Jews have a lot. But like, and they- And that somehow they exploit that. I'm, and they I'm, I'm, trade I'm, on it. Yeah, you know, more about, you know more about that argument than I do then. I don't, I don't, I, I'm- And then the other part, the other piece of it is that basically they're annoying, that they walk around the Capitol and annoy people and they're like, fine, just whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's such, a, that's such a brilliant, delightful thing, the idea that, that we, Jews could somehow project power by being annoying. Um, uh, uh, so I mean, I, lo- I love what 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 Peter's writing about because he's you know he's just he's he's the truth teller of our generation and he's super sharp and um, you know and he's just his lot you know he's just his logic is pretty sound and he's not afraid to just um, to just call call out the logic you know I mean he had a recent piece on the whole concept of the defining of a Jewish state that Israel is asking for. What does that mean exactly? And, you know, it's not enough to, I mean, his scholarship is great and his writing is great because it's not enough to just accept the buzzwords or, or cleave to the, to the kind of fear-based tribal instincts. It's like, no, we have a set of values and we have a set and, and there are laws and, you know, and let's, um, let's actually put them to the test. Like let's put them. This, let's not be afraid of the truth, you know. Yeah. So for as for me as someone who's sort of been on both sides of the uh, arts and politics equation, oh, right. like you know, so like I know we put the minimum wage on the ballot in San Francisco. We got whatever sixty thousand workers a raise, and so there was there was no cultural component to that. We put it on the ballot, but voters voted for it, and people's lives got materially better. I believe that it has to be true that arts and culture play a role in changing politics, but the mechanism is so much more diffuse. Um, and, and the ways that you would attempt to evaluate progress. I know it's like, it's like, I, I, it's like, I think of it as trickle up, you know, change the consciousness of a culture and you can change the, um, you know, the, the outcomes that the political body, you know, exercises or pursues and is there a kind of like is there an 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 emotional experience that you want people to have in the play as well as an intellectual one i mean the truth is that i don't really have an agenda for people to have any particular experience in the play that's not that's also not my role my role you know is to share the narrative and do it in a compelling way that allows people to have whatever experience they're going to have. Um, I hope it's meaningful, you know, 
I hope it's meaningful. Um, but I wouldn't say that there's any particular emotion that I, that I would want people to have, except that they have emotion, <laughs> you know, that they, that they're, that they're, that they're, that they, that they are open at the end, not closed. Cool. And what do you think you're going to do with the, with the piece after it wraps here in intersection? We're, we're getting interest from all over the country right now, actually for, for a tour. So we're working on putting together the tour right now. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be. We'll be on the road. Coming to a to a shtetl near coming you. To a sh- coming to a, an American shtetl near you. Cool. Uh, well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, NATO. There's a martial art called Krav Maga. Have you heard of it? It's an Israeli martial art. Israel invented it. There's no, like, form or stance <laughs> or spirituality to it. It just looks like this. Ah! <laughs> Is a martial art that's invented to kill as many people as possible with your bare hands, just in case. <laughs> Only Jews would think, yeah, we, we need that. That's what we need. Uh, obviously, the, the Jewish martial art is not Krav Maga, only it's, it's uh, arguing. We invented arguing. We're the best at it. Gentiles, do not try to argue with us, you will pull something. <laughs> We argue just to keep limber. We keep arguments alive for hundreds of years. If it's a good argument, why ever let go? The thing is, there's one other group of people in the world that likes to argue as much as we do, and it's Arabs. Surprise, see how that works? So, it turns out that Jews and Arabs both love to argue and are hairy and no one likes us. That was my interview with Aaron Davidman on his play Wrestling Jerusalem. Uh, running now at Intersection for the Arts. I'm Nato Green. This has been the Nato Sessions, uh, conversating in podcasts where we with famous smart people, a production of 3200 Stories, the digital venue of the Jewish Community Center in San Francisco, theme music by DJ Real, uh, produced by Dan Wolf, edited by Steve Bissinger. You can follow me on Twitter at Nato Green. You can see me do stand-up every Wednesday at the Darkroom Theater in the Mission District with my show The Business. Um, follow, subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes to get new episodes as they become available. Please rate it and review it, share it around, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you.